Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. All right, welcome to the Invested Podcast. We're on Podcast 363, and this is very exciting. We're glad we're here with you guys today. We are hammering away at a really wonderful, wonderful problem, wonderful topic. Ooh, I like that. It's, it, obviously, the world has uh, been in a, one of the, it's been in the longest economic expansion in modern history, probably ever, 14 years now. Um, drill, driven by enormous government central bank interventions uh, with both fiscal and monetary policy uh, to prevent a recession. They've been preventing a recession. Mm. Typically, we have a recession every seven years on average, and now it's been 14. <clears throat> and um, far from having discovered how to permanently prevent a recession, what they've done instead is devalue paper currency. And they are printing currency as never before in modern American and European history. Um, although, I guess if you consider the 1920s modern history, Germany printed currency uh, even more than they're printing now with the same kind of ultimate disastrous results if they keep it up. And that is you devalue your currency to a point where <clears throat> nobody will take your money for buying anything. Yeah, that's not a good comparison. Useless. You're talking about the Weimar Republic? Yeah. Yeah. Where things went crazy, they just printed like, not, like crazy. But we are printing an insane amount of money. And, and in the United States, um, gosh, I think I'm probably going to get this a little bit wrong, but basically from 1959 to about 1990, let's see, 1977, Warren Buffett came out in 1977 and said politicians just can't help themselves. They have to print Right. They all hate. They're all against inflation and they all do the very things that create it, which is printing money and um, let the next guy deal with it. Right. Yeah. Let the next guy deal with it. So over that 20 year period that Buffett was talking about, um, the economy hardly grew at all. It was the stock market went nowhere for for 20 years. Um, and the uh, impact of inflation was to cause the next years to be interest rates at 15%. Inflation was running so high. They printed 11, they printed money at a compounded rate of 11% per year. It's just enormous wow. amount of money printing to pay for the Vietnam War, to pay for the welfare state that was created in the 1960s in America. Just printing money because they couldn't tax anymore. Tax rates at, in 1960 were at 91% in the USA the highest marginal tax rate. I was going to say marginal, um, yeah. Yeah, Lyndon yeah, Johnson cut it cut it down to 70%. And so they couldn't raise taxes, they, right? They couldn't raise the rates. They were already confiscatory. Um, and all they could do was print, and that's what they did. And they destroyed the U.S. dollar. Gold went from $35 an ounce in 1970 
1980, it was at 670 an ounce. And yet Buffett did incredible. Killed incredible it. Incredible during that time. Killed it. In a 10-year period, Buffett took his personal net worth from something like 60 million to 700 million or something. It was just Yeah. Enormous. I don't know if that's right, we, but the point is part. enormous. Insane. Yeah, enormous. Enormous. All right. And then and, the next 20 years, this is where I was going with this. The okay. next 20 years, they didn't print money hardly at all. They just printed it at the same rate as the growth of GDP in the U.S. So there was hmm. very little inflation and interest rates came down over that next 20 year period, ultimately getting all the way down by the year 2000 to um, kind of where in the range they are now. And then in 2000, we started running into problems. We had 9-11, and then we had the 2007 meltdown in real estate. And all of this gave the federal government an excuse to print money like crazy, which they did. And so up till, they basically doubled the amount of dollars in the U.S. over about a 10-year period. And then they doubled it again in two years, in the last two years. They have just printed, not doubled, but they printed like something like $7 trillion of new money. Uh, in an economy that only has 22 trillion to start with, right? I mean, it had, what did it have? 15 trillion and they pushed it up to 22 trillion in just two years. So an enormous amount of money printing. And what I'm saying is that politicians and monetary policy is what create inflation. And if you're hearing out there that supply chain disruptions are the real problem behind inflation, uh, you're hearing politicians tell you it wasn't me. <laughs> right, because it was them, and yeah, certainly supply chain issues have created higher prices, but those are temporary. What you're going to see is that these price changes are not temporary. That wages have gone up and they're not coming down. Food prices have gone up; they may fluctuate. Energy prices are are a problem because of supply, no doubt. Um, but whoa, man, the biggest drivers of inflation are the basics, and those basics are going higher. So. If we're going to be in inflation, what's going to happen is the Federal Reserve in the United States is intent on getting rid of it because skyrocketing inflation. Let me put it like this. This last year, right now, today, we are running at just about 8% inflation rate. What that does is it cuts the buying power of the U.S. dollar in half in just nine years. So if you have $100,000 in the bank and you're making 2% on it, or you're not, you're making 1% on it, Nine years from now, that 100000 is going to buy $50,000 worth of stuff if the inflation rate stays where it is. Wouldn't it be great to put that money into a wonderful company that would then compound your money for you when you just sit on the couch? Yes. yes. Let's talk about what that kind of company much that might better. be. Okay. Well, wait a second. One last piece, and then okay. we'll talk about it. And that is that in order to fix this problem, this looming disaster of people who save money having a complete train wreck, retirees having a train wreck, the Federal Reserve has determined to put us into a recession. They're going to do it. They're absolutely going to do it. And the way they're going to do it is they're going to increase interest rates. They just started about two weeks ago, yeah. raised interest rates a quarter of a point. They promised to do it about five or six times this year. They are going to keep jacking interest rates until we get a minor recession. Now, the big trick is the recession might not be so minor. They don't know how to control that very well. They just know they have to do it or inflation is going to go nuts. So we're going into a recession. Now, what should you do as an investor knowing that within a year or so, 
the world is going to be in a recession. How do you invest like that? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Oh there you go. I made it to the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> what are you laughing at me for? So, would that be like an anti-fragile company? <laughs> yes. I thought I should deliver a bit of a monologue. I thought it was rather... It was erudite. It was concise oh. for its subject matter. And it was intelligent. <laughs> so I appreciate everything you just said. Oh, you are, you are mocking me. I am not. I did uh -huh. like it. It was... Only you, Dad. I think honestly. it's a rule. You're not supposed to mock your father. I'm not mocking you. I think it's really extraordinary how you can just deliver information directly. I don't have that ability in the same way. <laughs> I like wander around in my head. And it's it's a skill few people have, and you have it. Oh, now, you're very sweet. Thank was you. that something that we needed to hear right now? I don't know. <laughs> now we're getting to it. Fine. <laughs> Okay, you don't need to have listened to all that stuff you just listened to because I was just giving a prologue for anti-fragile investing. It was basically is, like, hey guys, listen up. This is yeah, real life stuff. This is real stuff. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And you could make a lot of money Those if you pay of you attention here. Doing other stuff like me, you need to get off your ass and make your brain work and... Make your do, brain work. Do a few things. <laughs> and prepare yourself a little bit to put money into a few companies that are anti-fragile when they go on sale during the recession. So recession means stock market goes down. Stock market goes down. Find wonderful businesses that are on sale that are anti-fragile businesses and buy them. Now, the reason we're paying attention to anti-fragile is because in this inflationary environment, things get pretty tough for the stock market if they can't control it. Stock market doesn't do well in inflationary times. It exactly. went nowhere from 1965 to 1983. The rate of return in an indexed mutual fund was zero. So you gotta look at what does do well. And we told you last time, Warren Buffett crushed it mm -hmm. during the 1970s. But what was he doing that caused him to be so successful while everybody else was not making any money at all. What yes. did he do? What did he do? And what he did is he bought anti-fragile businesses. Businesses that do well in inflation, they do well in deflation, they do well, period, because they are wonderful. And what makes them wonderful is a big moat that gives them pricing power and lets them continue to be profitable even while everybody else is struggling. That's yes. what makes them so great. What he wrote in his letters at that time about finding companies that actually benefit from inflation is that those are companies that can raise their prices and still not only keep their customers, but continue to grow with those higher prices. Now these companies are like few and far between. Like this is like, what kind of magical unicorn company is that? And we talked about one last time that you think is one of those companies, which, which is mm -hmm. Chipotle. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a little more iffy on the brand 
moat part of it, but I agree that mm-hmm. Chipotle has a very strong chance in a recession. Mm-hmm. So what other criteria, what other companies are you thinking of? I mean, I feel like I can go around and say to myself, like, a company with great pricing power, that's what I need. But if it were so obvious, then everybody would do it. So Oh, 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 wait, but that's true. But everybody being particularly the big institutional fund managers who obviously know this, and they would do that, and they are doing that. They're buying those companies. But here's the problem. What companies are they buying? Ah, well, actually, I'm going to take that back. I am going to walk that back right here. I misspoke. I misspoke. Because right now, a lot of fund managers are actually bailing out of some of the biggest moat price controlling companies in the marketplace. Um, the tech the tech industry is having a lot of companies sold off. Mm-hmm. And, um, and one of the reasons for that is because Wall Street does not, the institutional fund managers, do not look out into the future more than a year or so. Right. <clears throat> for reasons we've discussed many times on the podcast. So assume that we're right. We'll, we'll stipulate, I think that's a word you've taught me. We'll stipulate that that's true. And so they're looking out here and they're saying, ah, well, during a recession, these guys are going to struggle or they're going to not do as well or we're pricing them as if they've got growth at 30% a year and they won't have it during a recession. Mm -hmm. So we're getting out of all of the big high growth companies that need to have a big high growth economy going on. We're just going to get out of those. Yeah. So sort of groupthink has kicked in and they've exited a lot of those companies. You and I, I we don't care about that. I think it might be like, we paid a really high price for this and we knew we were doing that and yeah. it's starting to look risky. Yeah. And, and but then as it starts to go down, groupthink does kick in. It's like for sure. you know, you're leaving a crowded theater and you because know, when because, you buy a company based on like excitement and this yeah. like growth thing, then there's no yeah. real reason to continue to own it as things go down. So yeah. The whole thesis is different than what, what we're looking and at. You, and when you buy a company and you really can't figure out what it's worth, that that is also a big problem for these guys. They're buying it completely on momentum, not on value. And uh, many of these companies can't be valued, at least in my book, they can't. It's difficult to I don't know them. what they're yeah, worth. I agree. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you end up with with some sell-offs going on already in in, in uh, anticipation of a recession, and then you're going to have a lot more when the recession actually starts. Because why? At that point, although maybe good fund managers would like to buy more companies, they have stayed fully invested, and now their fund is going down, and mm-hmm. individual investors and pension fund managers are going to exit that fund. Mm-hmm. They're going to take their money out in protection, and that will accelerate the drop. In fact, today, with almost 50% of the money invested passively in the U.S. stock market, that drop will force companies to sell that have indexed ETFs. And those companies will be forced to sell, driving the momentum downward even faster. 
And I think we're going to see a, this is what the Federal Reserve can't control, is as the stock market starts to tumble, you're going to see millions of baby boomers take their money out of the stock market and say, well, we had a good run, time to move to bonds as bond prices start to rise. And when that happens, you're going to see a potential for a, a viral collapse of the stock market. So, so first thing is we want to be in cash early. If, okay. And then we want to buy anti-fragile businesses. So back to anti-fragile. So if these businesses are so obvious to anybody with a pulse, and all you have to do is find the most amazing business with all the wonderful things and components and et cetera. And they, it's and not they, tons of wonderful things and components. Okay, you're no, making it, no, no, it's you're taking not. a deep I'm breath just, like it's ah, oh, it's so hard. No, oh. it's just like it's just like oh, it's our four things that like you know you can yes. live the rest of your life never fully mastering, right? Well, um, okay, fair enough. Like you're never going to get worth worth practicing. I, and I think the the real point here on this is that. If what you do in your lifetime is pick 20 of these companies in your life um, and you get four or five of them right, but you get none of them majorly wrong. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. You're going to get very rich. You can't help it. You're going to get very rich. I, again, I would go back to the example of the class we had back in 2009 in Singapore where the students picked 10 companies. They got one of them very wrong. Uh, BlackBerry Ugh. was a horrible pick and just almost went bankrupt. So that one almost went to zero. But the other I nine also did... was really into BlackBerry for a little while. But never <laughs> I never invested. I just was like really close to it. But these guys picked the nine other companies and the end result was over the next 10 year period of time, they compounded the money at 32% a year. And $100,000 became $1.5 million in a 10-year period. So it's just very doable, but you you, you just got to, you, you're going to get some of them less right than others, but you just don't want to get any of them really wrong. And, and using the strategy that Buffett has taught us will prevent you from getting them wrong as long as you don't get caught up in hubris and thinking you know more than you know. You stick with simple stuff which is why I keep talking about Chipotle, right? You want things that are simple, things that you use, brands that you like, you know? So, I mean, Buffett has got a list of companies that you can look at. Um, if you go on to our website and look up gurus or you go over to Dataroma, which is a free site, and look up, guru, look up all the different gurus that are there, those are all kind of a hand-selected, curated group of investors that are very, very good investors. And you can see what they've owned for the last decade. And you can get some really good ideas from that about what you might think is simple. Because the key word here is simple, 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 simple. You got to have a simple business that you can predict as confidently into the future. Okay, so you can see what other people think are simple. And it's quite a range, right? Warren Buffett's buying Apple Computer and bought a bunch of it. Huge bunch of it. He may be the largest owner of Apple Computer in the world. And He's done extremely well with that company. I mean, it's done really, really well over these last years. I've owned Apple for a long time like that. Bought it uh, at the old split-adjusted price or pre-split price of 90. I don't even know what that went to, a 13, I think. And it's now at 160, so it's like done rather well. I remember so, Buffett writing in the letters, and I'm trying to remember 
if this was in the 70s, I think it was, but it might have been more 80s. He bought ABC, the television network, but it was mm-hmm. before it was ABC. It was called um, something that I can't remember. It had a different name. And, um, and he bought it saying, number one, it's really cheap. Number two, it's a television network. It's not going anywhere. The moat is incredible. <laughs> moat's really good, right? Television is only growing. It's only right. going to get bigger. Like right. this was one of his inflation-proof companies. People were going to pay more to watch more television as television grew. Yep. And this became one of his companies that um, he owned for, I want to say, like 20 to 30 years through ABC mm-hmm. buying it. And then Disney became the owner. And it just went through mm-hmm. all these changes. Um, mm-hmm. And it, he wrote several times that it became one of his lifetime ownership companies, one of the things he was most proud of. Mm-hmm. And then he sold it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he sold it um, yep. because something had changed about the entertainment world and about the television world. And yep. uh, and then he and then it continued to do incredibly well. And he said it was one of his huge regrets that he ended up selling that company because he hadn't seen where it was going to go. But yeah, I mean, like, that happens. you know, it happens exactly like, you know, he made probably a billion dollars from that thing. So or more, sure. I don't even know. Um, so that's like thinking of examples of like, what would an inflation proof company look like? Like to him, that's what he sure. saw. It was a company. Look at stuff that's look at stuff that has done done well over the last couple of years in terms of their pricing, not in terms of their stock price. We don't care about that in terms of their pricing power. Because we've had inflation How now. Do it's you really been that? cranking. Well, hopefully you know something about the business, right? Because mm-hmm. you should be looking looking in your own backyard. You shouldn't be out there looking for exotic companies that are sitting in you know, France. You should be, unless you're French, you should be looking in your own backyard for things that you use. That's mm-hmm. your first place you're going to go. So when you turn it, speaking of ABCs, right? Turn on your, your, your television, your smart TV, and you may not be watching ABC, NBC, CBS. You might not even be watching any cable channels. You might have you might be flipping cut the cord. Over. You might be flipping over to Hulu or Roku or Netflix or Amazon Prime or Google Plus or right. Or Apple if you're not Plus. doing any of those things, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Get with the program. And it's you may instead of paying eighty dollars for a basic subscription to a cable system, and many of you are paying one hundred and sixty because it's bundled with your internet. You may discover that for eight dollars you can get everything that's in Disney's library. Yeah. Right. Um, for, okay. We have an investor now, friend who, and I'm not supporting this or deny or saying against it. Like this is just something that a friend of mine uh, is very into is Roku, which is a conduit to all of those streaming channels uh-huh. and therefore is almost like an infrastructure rather than the actual channel itself. Right. So thinking so, about so it from I that might, perspective. So they're, they're sitting right on your, right on your television is something you all are doing. You probably all have an average of four of these at least. And you're sitting there looking at this and these are all almost all businesses that you can buy. Right. And so you, Look up who are the top streaming companies and you'll find the number one streaming companies, Netflix. The number two is Amazon Prime in terms of subscribers, right? 
And number three is Disney. And Disney, you start to dig into this, you find out Disney just spent $170 billion in the last 24 months to drive their platform up the scale of users. And they've done that. So now you're starting to see an industry start to become just big players are getting to the top and there'll be consolidation. This company is going to buy that company. Yeah. And you guys, I mean, this is all something that you could dig into and understand and come to a conclusion about. Okay. And some of these companies are on sale right now. But how do you decide it has pricing power? Look and see okay. if they raise their prices. Did they I raise their prices? Like, okay, let's use Netflix. Everybody knows it. Netflix recently raised prices. How do yes, I decide they that they have pricing power into a recession? Are they still growing? Yes. They are slowing down in their growth. Ah, but only relative to the COVID explosion that happened to them. Okay. So their growth rate is still positive. Definitely still positive, yeah. They raised their rates and their growth rate is still positive. Mm -hmm. That tells you what you need to know. They have pricing power. They have a, now, now the next thing you have to do is say, okay, well, do I have this right? What's the moat that gives them that kind of pricing power? Yeah. And one way you can look at that is, oh, we saw the Academy Awards a couple, a week ago. Oh, the Academy Awards. They had 26 nominations. Netflix. Netflix. Okay. The next biggest streamer was Amazon with six. And the Amazon, no, no, the Apple one, Apple? And Apple won, won something. Won the best picture, Coda. Yeah, because they bought that They bought that goofy little picture from, I'd say goofy little picture. I haven't seen it. They bought that picture from I Sundance. I haven't seen it either, but I really want to because it's supposed to be amazing. Obviously, it it's the first Sundance picture, picture that, that made it to the top. It was pretty cool. Uh, Coda, everybody. Back. Watch it. It's Coda. supposed to be really so good. So here's, this is exactly to the point. This is an industry Everybody can understand. You guys can understand this industry. And you can look at a company like a Disney, which is, by the way, available as a public company. That's more complex because they got all of these theme parks and they got all this other stuff going on. You can look at an Apple, which is trying to scramble its way into this business. And they've got all this other stuff going on. Huge, big deal. You can look at Amazon. They got all this other stuff going on. You can look at Netflix. They got none of this other stuff going on and they're kicking everybody's ass. And it's like, hmm, which one could I understand the easiest? Which one? Yeah, but sorry, I just feel like moat? I'm beating a dead horse here. But I mean, there are a little, literally, if you Google, you know, can Netflix continue to raise prices? You're going to get like 150 different think pieces. Like, I don't know if Netflix has pricing power. There's so much you competition. Don't, really. Honest to God, Disney, Netflix is still so, growing. So, this, all like, over what the we're world, having here is a subjective Disney, conversation, but is there an objective, like, is okay so maybe my question i don't is, know how hard this is i think you're making this harder than it is is this you know what they price it at do you know what netflix prices it at they're at 15 bucks you know what disney prices it at no seven now uh -huh. that's obviously in your face pricing power how would you miss that they're double what disney is and disney's having trouble competing with them yeah, but the point is can they raise their prices to 20. Not can they keep people at 15? Holy crap. No, it's not. It's not? It's like if you can have your prices double what your competitors are doing, you have enormous pricing power. Because think about it. 
their costs are at least what yours are. At least what yours are. All right. And so if you're if your subscribers are paying twice as much, number one, and you have twice as many subscribers as anybody else, number two, I mean, how do you not see this as pricing power? That That's just enormous pricing power. And then on top of it, they went and raised it two bucks, which is a huge jump. So, I mean, so it I, think, to I think me it's like just obvious on the face of the it. The answer to this is a, is a subjective answer. One thinks it out, makes a guess about the future. I mean, that sounds like a subjective answer is, huh, they're both at $7, but I subjectively feel that Netflix has pricing power. There's nothing subjective about seeing that this industry leader is pricing it twice as high as anybody else and kicking their ass. That's not subjective. Come on, man. If, if Ford Motor Company could charge twice as much for a, 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 an SUV, a Ford SUV, as GM or Mercedes, mm -hmm. I mean, actually, Mercedes is charging twice as much as a Ford SUV. Like the Mercedes SUV that's the, the full decked out GL that they've got is right now, I think, rolling at about $170,000 for that car. And their U.S. competitors are like at 90. So, in fact, Mercedes is double. Wouldn't you say Mercedes is a premium product? They have pricing yeah. power. They got a huge brand. That would be the way I would look at it if I, if I were doing this. No, oh, I am doing this. So that is how I'm looking at it. Okay. Okay, I'm writing I'm down. Glad, I'm glad compare. we had this talk. <laughs> <laughs> While you go buy your hideous G-Wagon, please don't. Um, oh, no, that wasn't the G-Wagon. That was the GL. That's the nice one that I can throw a saddle in the back and okay. jack it up. And right. yeah, I like it. That one's all right. Nice car. I'm so <laughs> not addicted. So compare uh, to competitors. And if they... So you somehow think that if they're charging more right now, that means that they can continue to raise prices in the future. Well, it certainly appears that way. And on top of it, Netflix isn't just charging more now. They just raised their prices right into the teeth of all of this new competition that's coming in. Disney's relatively new. Apple's new, right? You just said Roku, Hulu. Excuse me. They're all cranking away. Amazon's trying to get more purchase. And here's, here's Netflix just saying, hey, hey see ya. And as you dig into the company, you start to learn more and more about it. That's what's going on. So I, yeah. I think this is something you could look at as an example of what's going to do very, very well. A very anti-fragile. And one more reason why they're anti-fragile is the same reason that Chipotle is anti-fragile. Is that during a recession, everything tightens up. And so you're not going to go to maybe a nicer restaurant. You'll go to Chipotle and have a burrito. All right. You're not going to go to the movies and pay $15 for a movie each, right? So for a family of four, there goes $60. You're going to watch it on Netflix or I you're going to watch it on Disney. You're gonna, so this, in, yeah, but this industry is going to get better. Look at what happened during COVID. They exploded. These streaming companies jacked up their, their subscriptions enormously 
because people didn't want to go to the movie theater. Same exact thing will happen during a recession. You won't want to go. It'll be a different reason, but you won't want to go. And up goes up goes the value of a thing or up goes the number of subscribers. Mm -hmm. So that helps them be anti-fragile. And I, we look for that. What's going to happen during a recession? What's going to happen to this next one? Here, I'll give you another one to be thinking okay. about. Okay. World tension is World rising tension? dramatically. The tension between countries. Oh, I thought that was the rising. name of a company. <laughs> oh, no. It's the name of a problem. And that problem is that. I was that like, what do they as make? <laughs> they make war, is what they make. <laughs> okay, that's not funny. And so if war happens, which often happens in a in a deep recession, certainly the last time we had a recession that could be as deep as the one we're going into is the 1930s. And you see popular populists like a Trump uh, getting elected and and appealing to people being more xenophobic, more nationalistic. And um, and you'll see that around the world as the recession deepens. Uh, particularly the working class suffers the most and starts to look for politicians that are saying, I can fix this for you because we'll go blame all these other people for the problem that we're having. And, you know, we'll blame the Germans can blame the French or the, the Russians can blame the Ukrainians or right. The America can blame the Chinese and we start having tensions rise. So if you know that's what's going to happen because it's happened in history over and over and over again, then you look for companies that are wonderful businesses, big moat, and will do well as war tensions rise. So mm -hmm. that's another big clue, right? What happens when when people start arming themselves more and more and more? Who who benefits from that in your in your world? Um, might not necessarily be a military company. It might be something else. It might be making some aspect of military machinery. It might be an airline company like a Boeing, which has a big component of defense. Um, so okay. those, those are all things that I, I look think at. Next time I'm going to ask you more irritating questions about. This is really fun. Pricing power. The irritating Good. questions are quite fun. I'm glad. <laughs> so guys, I hope you enjoyed that. Um, I would say now is the time to get going. If you want to get Learn about this. It's time to learn. It's time to read. It's time to study. Time to go to classes. Get going on it because this is going to be, there's still time now for you to come up to speed, but you're going to need to be all the way up to speed when it really hits the fan because the time when these go on sale, you're going to have to know that they're on sale because you're going to be buying in when everybody's running for the hills. And so you've got to be comfortable. You've got to be experienced. You've got to have some, some, uh, some time under your belt with this stuff or you won't be able to pull the trigger. You'll go through what you went through, Danielle, when you first started, which is really scary. And I don't know if I can really pull the trigger with money that's really meaningful to Absolutely. me. Absolutely. All right. All right. With Thanks, that, everybody. Time to go play. Bye. See you guys. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And it's really important. It's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor 
nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it.